Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All The Things podcast, episode number three, Workflow. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Curran. How's it going? It's going pretty good, Matt. Um, just this week, I uh, just started working on some Vue.js stuff for the first time. That okay. was pretty cool. Uh, so I'll have some some new projects up on, on the hat, HTML All The Things soon. Stay tuned. Yeah, we were uh, we were taking a peek. Uh, we were taking a peek before the show, and uh, they were pretty interesting. I might actually uh, throw my hat in the ring and look at some view stuff. So, and it takes a while. It takes a lot to convince me to use any sort of tool, uh, as we'll find out here in this episode. Oh, yeah. So that's for sure. <laughs> uh, myself, I've been uh, I've just been doing the doing the daily grind, just you know taking calls, doing the uh, doing the doing the web development game, and really hitting the social media game hard. So one of the things that I think we or one of the skills, I guess, that we need really, really bad is definitely social media marketing. We've always kind of, or at least I have always kind of paid attention to social as I like take some pictures on Instagram and stuff like that as a very like kind of hobbyist thing. And, you know, I've been really kind of diving in and seeing what hashtags work, what times work and that type of thing on all the different social media. So that's, that was my week. Um, and then this episode, of course, uh, will be specifically about um, our workflows, um, both our personal workflows, so individual as well as our collaborative workflows working together as a company um, on various projects. Um, we'll be including things such as like, you know, we use different file structures for saving. Do we use IDEs um, and that type of thing? Uh, we have a few segments, of course, and I'll just go over them really brief right now. So segment number one is going to be uh, infrastructure. Segment number two is going to be Mike's workflow. Segment number three is going to be Matt's workflow or my workflow. Segment number four is going to be working together dash collaborative workflow. And then we have our recurring segment now, Web News, uh, and this one is titled App Overload. And I'm sure some people are already cringing in the audience there after hearing that one. Um, but let's jump right in here to segment number one, infrastructure. Uh, and we have a bit of a strange infrastructure beginning. Um, so just a brief overview of that. What I mean by infrastructure is how we got started as a company. So one of the main things is, is Mike and I didn't start... Uh, digital dynasty design apart it wasn't like we like we were both freelancers and decided to go together we both started together immediately so we needed some sort of structure and infrastructure to learn like oh i need everything saved in one spot so we actually started with onedrive and onedrive is microsoft's cloud storage uh, solution and we had a very specific folder structure we had like you know we put oh these ones need dates these ones need to be in the customer file these ones need to be in the asset file etc 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 um, but as we sort of grew, we kind of started seeing the limitations of OneDrive. And it's not OneDrive's fault at all because it was working for us the whole time. It was because it's not meant for what we were using it for. So we had a bunch of problems coming up like, oh, I would be working on, let's say, the DOM of like a page. I'd be working on the HTML. And let's say I just had an inline script in there. And obviously Mike is more of the backend guy. So he wants to hit that script and he would like jump in and I would still have it open on my computer. And then we'd have like two of these programs or two of the same file uh, because like uh, one job will be like, oh, there's a conflict. I'll just make a copy so you lose nothing, which is nice. But then the program doesn't work because there's stuff going on everywhere. Um, luckily, this, the, the various changes were still saved, but it's a big disaster. So as we kind of moved on and kept going and going and going, uh, we had to sort of keep working more collaboratively because projects started getting more complex from just like static sites. And we had to slowly start branching out and start using more tools um, and we really needed version control so we had a very rudimentary version control that we did with our file structure um, on OneDrive so we would have like spe a specific date thing so our thing was like you put in square brackets the date which was uh, four digits year dash two digits month dash two digits day and so then uh, the file system would automatically sort out uh, sort in order you know, by by the uh, the year, month, and the day, the, like which version you were on, and then you would upload your changes, and then you had a master copy. Not fantastic, um, but it did work, and it did get us up and going. And then we started, and Michael touched on this part. Mm. Then we started needing, like, holy crap, we need version control, and we started using Bitbucket and later GitHub. And I'll let Mike kind of talk about that one. Yeah, I mean, like, theoretically, we probably should have started with version control systems like Git uh, right away. But I think it was a little bit daunting for us um, just because it was another command line interface to learn. And we didn't really understand uh, 
the principle behind it. And we only got the principle once we actually started using OneDrive and found its shortcomings. So like when we got into uh, Git, we just decided to use the, the best free one out there that we could use, have private repositories, which was Bitbucket at the time. For sure. Um, yeah, and I think that was a good choice. We, we had a little bit of experience with it with one of our clients where we had to kind of integrate with their projects. So that kind of stepped over the hurdle that we had with like, I guess you could call it fear of using, of using Git. So as soon as we had that, that first project under our belt, we just like went full, almost fully into Git. Now this is only for the website and the web development part of our business. We still keep our, documentation and stuff like that on the OneDrive because we have Office 365 for our business. So tons of space there. And I think that's a good uh, backup solution for us as well. Um, we even back up the OneDrive incrementally. Uh, we have a we have an automatic script running that'll do a backup of the OneDrive once a week. And uh, we keep the last like seven backups or something like that. So um, I think so far we haven't had any loss of data. For I don't sure. know if you if you can remember anything, uh, maybe some small things here and there, but I like we've been doing pretty well. Uh, so yeah, like Bitbucket. Uh, then moving on to GitHub. Obviously, for this project, we chose GitHub because, uh, regardless of the fact that it was bought by was it Microsoft that bought GitHub? Microsoft bought it. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So regardless of that fact, and everyone switching to GitLabs, we still think it's a pretty established community. And uh, we like the open source aspect of it, and we want to make sure that most of our content that we develop for Hat is open source. And uh, that's kind of the reason we went with GitHub. Really, the differences between Bitbucket and GitHub, like, there's barely any differences between the two, which is nice. Um, and, so and they're both all, Git, right? Git's like a yeah, they're both Yeah, they're both using Git as the version control system, so all the skills are transferable. It's literally just a different platform and different... Uh, different hosting service that you could call it like we could have our own git bucket set up somewhere in uh in our house right so we, yeah. we're just using these ones as a as a free option how are you um, how are you managing uh personally how are you managing the two services like on your local computer because you'll obviously have repos cloned from each of them how, how do you manage that yeah so i just i actually leave my bit bucket in because it's for our work stuff inside of the authentication management in Windows. Okay. So I don't have to log in every time. But for Hat, I'll just log, like literally input my username and password every single time I do any sort of commits. Okay. Okay. I I I think that's okay, and um, I like putting in my password every time I do a commit too, because it gives me that mental check every time. So I don't I don't usually let the the uh, my IDE. Uh, save my password just because like as soon as i'm putting in my password i do a little mental check being like do i really want to do this commit and obviously most of the time i do but sometimes i can catch myself and be like oh yeah i forgot that one thing so that's that's kind of my part of my workflow so actually which leads right into the next segment which is my workflow um so let's get down to kind of like the applications that i use so I used to use Brackets, which was a pretty good IDE for doing any sort of web work. But uh, as with the trends, I moved on to VS Code, uh, Visual Studio Code, which is Microsoft owned as well. Uh, I think it's a great push by Microsoft to be releasing applications like this because they used to be obviously Visual Studio, which was a fairly clunky application. I don't know if you ever used it, Matt. Um, I used it for, um, I actually used like one of the old Visual Basics. So yeah. I think I think that like a part of that I don't know exactly how that would work, but a part of that I think was in it. You know what I mean? Like they kind of took inspiration as the same company for the like the IDE when you when you code in Visual Basic years ago now. So I might be yeah talking about it wrong, but yeah, like C Sharp was code like everything in C Sharp was uh, Visual Studio and stuff like that. I used to use Visual Studio quite often in university, but um, it was pretty clunky. Like on my older laptop, it would take a minute to load, which is kind of ridiculous for an IDE nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, like you you click on the button now for VS Code and it'll be like open before you can even press down. So I love VS Code for the speed, obviously, and the uh, extensions. So there's great extensibility and they're very simple to install and use. And it seems that there's a lot of people working with it. And since it's open source, which is another huge plus, thanks Microsoft, uh, you can just take the code, extend it as, as you want. You can even, there is even a code base for what the VS Code was built on. So there's a code editor web app almost 
that you can just take and run on your on in your browser uh, and you can build another web browser on top of that. I don't know. Like I, I'm a big fan of the open source, especially for IDs, because who knows what people are storing? I like I don't I'm trusting. But to a certain degree now with all this information about Facebook being out that they've been doing stuff kind of shadily, I'm not a huge fan of just allowing people to take my information. So thank you, Microsoft, for allowing <laughs> some sort of open open web for us. Um, so that's pretty much my main IDE right now. Uh, I'll still use Notepad++ sometimes, but that's mostly just to view certain files like JSON files if I don't want to just cl- clutter up my uh, VS Code. So other than that, I still use Xcode and Android Studio because uh, I build web apps for... I build web apps for conversion with Cordova. So I need to be able to go in and then add certain Android specific or iOS specific features. So when I need to do that, I build them all out in uh, their specific studios. So like the Xcode for iOS and Android Studio for Android. Uh, I know that you can probably do everything in Xcode. Uh, or sorry, not in Xcode, but in uh, VS Code. Uh, but I just decided to use what's actually available just for those platforms. It's been working fine for me because I don't do too, too much specific uh, app development for that. Um, So then the next thing I would say would be uh, my task management. So I use Asana and Todoist. Todoist is a pretty cool one. They're both web apps. Uh, They both run on all all platforms. That's a big one for me. I think if you're choosing a to-do list or a task manager, I think you should definitely think about the future and not just go on the like Mac store and type in to do manager and then choose the first one on the Mac store because most likely it's going to be Mac specific. And what happens if you for work have to use a, a Linux machine or for work have to use a Windows machine, then you're going to have to convert to a totally different tool and uh, you'll have to learn, have that learning curve again, where if you pick something like Todoist, it's working on all the different platforms. And I kind of take that approach in almost all the tools that I pick. So the first thing with VS Code, actually, when I when I was researching it, I'm like, well, Visual Studio Code, this is Microsoft. There's no way it works on Mac. Go and check. It has a Mac version. I immediately install it. Even though I'm not a Mac fan, I understand that I'm going to need to use a Mac at some point, And uh, I want to make sure that all the tools that I use are transferable for the most part. So... Those are my task management tools. Uh, they're pretty simple. Like the, they, they both have very similar functionality, and I'll kind of explain what I use them for separately uh, in, in, a, in, a, in one of the later segments right now. So next we'll go on to um, version control, which we actually already talked about, so I'm just going to skip over that, GitHub and Bitbucket. You guys know about that already. So now for test servers, uh, I use a Windows machine for the most part, so I just use XAMPP. I like its extensibility. Um, I like the fact that you can change the host file, you can change the htdocs folder, a different one, whatever one you want. You can launch it on, launch the server on load. I mean, it has all the basic functionality, has PHP, SQL. I don't really need much else. I know there's a bunch of them out there. I just decided to go with XAMPP at the start, and I've been pretty loyal to them ever since. Uh, on Mac, I use MAMP because it was just suggested to me to use that, and it seemed easy at the time. I don't use it very often, so don't have too much to say about it. Um, so a big a big part of my coding is actually debugging, uh, and I use Chrome DevTools very heavily for that. So putting breakpoints into your JS code is huge, and actually being able to see what's going on with every variable while it's on a breakpoint, that's, I mean, to me, that's my bread and butter. I, without that, I don't know how I would be doing this job. So Dev, the Chrome DevTools is by far the best uh, debugging tool I've ever used, um, bar none. So... I, and the, the cool thing is it's extensible. So with, I just started with Vue, like I was saying earlier in the episode. Uh, you can install the Vue plugin for the DevTools, and boom, you're, you can do any sort of uh, debugging with Vue as well. So I, 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 there's not much more to say about that. I would highly recommend going in and looking for tutorials on how to use it if you haven't used the Chrome DevTools for debugging because it was kind of like a big wide-opening uh, shock for me when I discovered it and realized why was I using console logs all this time because <laughs> that was ridiculous um, so yeah m- moving on from just specific tools and stuff like that let's go into a more uh, specific section so my my daily routine so I'm going to talk about a productive daily routine now this like I try to do this every day I'm not going to say I'm successful at it but it, this seems to work the best for me uh, at, as a structure for the day 
So when I uh, when I wake up, I check my to-do list and, my pro- and prioritize my tasks. So I have all my tasks laid out. When I get a new work task, I'll put it in my to-do list. I might not prioritize it right away. Now, like I might not put a date on it, but I'll put it on my to-do list. And then de- depending on what happened at the end of the day, I'll take a look at it as well. So in the, at the start of the day, I'll make sure that all my tasks are prioritized, which, which one I need to do today, which one I can leave for the next day, stuff like that. Then I'll go grab my coffee, eat breakfast, uh, read some news for like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and then I'll go into my to-do list and I'll pick a task that'll take me probably about 10 to 15 minutes, just because for me, it's, it's kind of like get the ball rolling. Uh, I need to get the ball rolling. So I do something fairly simple. Obviously not every day has a simple task on it, but most days will. And I'll, I'll knock that one out of the park. Uh, then I'll do, then I'll start with a more complicated task. And I, like, I don't jump from like, you know, simple to simple to simple to simple. I'll go actually from uh, simple then to complicated. And I'll, cause as soon as my brain starts moving in the morning, it, it, it really goes. Uh, I'm more of a morning person as I found. So when I, when I start to do the complicated tasks in the morning, I'll usually finish off with the more simple tasks throughout the day. Um, so while, while I'm doing that, it's getting like, I have a, I have a daily standup usually at around 1 PM my time. And I'll make sure that from around 12 to one, I'll have a good half an hour of, uh, prepping for my daily standup with one of our bigger clients. So, I make sure I'm prepped for, for almost every single one because they go faster that way. I don't have to go in and look at what I've been doing and stuff like that. Uh, standups are, are important in my opinion because it really like organizes the rest of your day pretty much. So after my daily standup, I'll go in and look at um, my priorities and be like, okay, well, we talked about uh, doing this task. Maybe Maybe I should prioritize that one rather than this one, since this one obviously is not, not as important. So I'll redo my priorities and that, I think that that's okay to do. I know some people really like to set their priority priorities and just keep going with it. Uh, but I think if you, if you go with it and you have something that changes throughout the day, it's totally okay to go back and reprioritize. Um, so once I reprioritize, I just go about my work the same, the same kind of way I'll do task by task. I like the task management system, uh, and it, it kind of gives me like a sense of accomplishment as well as I'm doing it. Um, and really that's it. So by the time five, six o'clock rolls around, I'm usually done most of my tasks. Uh, and I'll end the day kind of look I'll end the day with my task manager again, making sure that I check off the ones that I did reprioritize the ones for, for the next day. So yeah, that's pretty much my, my daily routine. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave it off to you, Matt, to talk about your tools and then some some other more specific uh, business stuff. Right. Yeah. So uh, so moving on to the next segment, which is my workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, as you may have already got from an impression, I don't really use a lot of tools. I'm kind of more old school. I still like to keep that close to the metal, if you will, uh, mentality. So You're pretty much an eighty year old man, Matt. I'm pretty much an eighty year old man. I put mm-hmm. it this way: everyone everyone on Linux, for example, uses Vim because it has colors. I use Vi, so... Um, that, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> <laughs> the programs I use on a daily basis would be uh, Notepad++ with no plugins. Uh, I don't know if there's any pre-installed plugins, but it's like the standard install. I just do the install for Windows, and then I just leave it. Um, so Notepad++. I use the CMD, uh, and in the CMD, I specifically use things like the Node Package Manager, NPM, um, and then, of course, I'll use packages with CMD, like, you know, compiling in uh, SASS or SAS or whatever I'm working on. Um, I Because, again, I am a Windows user, um, as you touched on, Mike, I will use XAMPP. Specifically, I'll use uh, the components on there, Apache, the MySQL, and then, by association, PHP, my admin as well, to sort of manage my databases. Um, my, my, my Chrome, uh, is my personal browser, but it's also my primary development browser. So that's kind of like my primary browser because I also have an Android smartphone. So obviously that kind of, you know, in tandem, they go together. So I do use Chrome for that. And I do use those Chrome, uh, those Chrome dev tools, uh, like you had mentioned. Uh, and I am actually starting to learn those breakpoint things. I do remember mm-hmm. that you, cause I don't touch JS too much. So a mm-hmm. lot of my stuff is visual. Um, but I do remember you helping me uh, while making the Berryflow app a while ago because I was like, man, I don't know what panels open. And I was like freaking out a bit. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, just break here and you can check the thing. So I'm starting to kind of touch more on the more intricacies of uh, of instead of using console log. 
Um, so after that, I went to my, my testing order. I would say my testing order for browsers, because I have a whole bunch of browsers on my computer. So my testing order would be Chrome, because I'm developing in it, then Firefox, then Edge, and then Safari. So a little bit of reasoning behind that. Chrome, obviously, is my primary, so that's the reason for number one. Firefox, I find I have to always add something or change something quite frequently, just because Safari and Chrome are very, very similar, I find, in terms of rendering everything. So Firefox seems to be just, just a little outlier. It'll just be like, oh, I need to add this little margin or something. It's not, not, not a usually a big change, but it's enough for me to be like, okay, I want to check this next. Mm-hmm. Edge seems to be pretty good, actually. It's mostly when I get into animations. I don't know whether it's just the way I do animations and transitions, but I find that I have a little bit of problems in Edge there, so I have to do some tweaking. But since animations and transitions are kind of tertiary, usually, that that's why I do that one third. And then Safari, like I said, very similar to Chrome. So it's kind of like a check, yep, it's good, moving on. To actually dive into the design process, I start doing. I started using uh, Balsamic or my Balsamic, I suppose, a long time ago. Uh, back maybe, I want to say two years, but it could be less. And then they transitioned or they started opening up uh, Balsamic Cloud, so I started using that, and I have been using that uh, quite quite frequently. And I'll get into why I specifically use Balsamic Cloud in a bit. And coming soon, and I, I kind of want to create some content for HTML of the things on this, but coming soon, I'm going to start using Sketch. And I don't use Sketch currently, and again, I'll explain that in just a moment. Um, so I'll kind of jump in, I think, to, just to kind of change gears uh, from, like, kind of, I don't really have a daily workflow. I kind of have like a project workflow. So my bread and butter within the company really is working on small business sites uh, a lot of the time, a small business site will be a small business basic site, and then I kind of do projects. So to dive into the first one there, small business small business basic site, what I start doing, and this is kind of my workflow for the project itself, so this could go over hours or over several days, but the general order for this type of project would be, I start gathering client objectives, so you know, do they need to process orders online, do they need a lot of pictures, do they just want almost like a, a digital business card, are they just trying to get social media presence, what are they trying to do? I then gather resources from them, and this part's really key because a lot of clients actually don't know the first step. They don't really know their objectives sometimes. Sometimes they're just told, hey, go, go get a website, and especially if they're a new entrepreneur, they'll come to somebody and be like, hey, I need a website, but they didn't actually look into what a website really entails. Mm-hmm. So I'll gather like resources, and what I mean by that is something like example sites, design ideas, and I'll get them to like sort of list out things. So any site they want. So let's say they're, they want a, a website uh, based on their, they do wood carvings, let's say. I'll tell them, okay, go across the web. It doesn't need to be two wood carving sites. Go across the web and gather pieces of information for me. So if you really like the nav bar from this site and you really like the footer from this one and the slider from this one, and I'll take all that, I'll make notes, and then those kind of like guide me in the direction. And then because this is a small business basic site and I have those two pieces of uh, information now or one piece depending on uh, what their goals are, I'll now make wireframes and I'll make a few variants. So it's wireframes, of course, are mostly for layout and just basic design. And I'll start like, you know, giving you, hey, do you like this? Do you like the full screen design? Do you want like parallax? Do you want this? Do you want that? What do you want? I then send it, send the wireframes after they're complete for approval. And then I immediately create the approved design as an actual website. So this is the little kind of caveat in which why I don't use Sketch. So a lot of the time, a small business basic site will be on a very strict budget. And a lot of other design agencies we find will do the wireframes and they'll either present the wireframes to the client or in some cases, we've seen it where the wireframes aren't presented to the client. Everyone's different. And they'll just provide like a Photoshop or like a sketch actual version. And they'll show that to the client and the client will come back to them. But in order to cut down costs and to cut out a rather major step, what we do is we say, okay, I'm only going to give you wireframes. And then I'm going to literally make that layout for you. And this does lead to a little bit of confusion and a little bit of like a little bit of like more tweaking than you would normally have on like a, a full website per se. But what it does is it cuts out that whole step of us, you know, designing an entire, you know, pixel perfect thing in Sketch or Photoshop. 
and then having the person come back and being like, let's just swap all of this. Let's just change it all. So we find that this is like a better way to work with small business clients. So we start, uh, we start doing that. And then we kind of, the final steps, we, we do like the final tweaks, like I said, change the colors, change this, change that, change a little bit of the workflow if they're doing it. And then a lot of the time, because they are small business clients, we do teach them. So we teach them how to use the CMS if there is one. We teach them, oh, you know, share this link or, you know, go this or this is what you show other people or this is the type of link you'll use on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's like a training element to it. It's a lot different than a larger client for sure. And that kind of concludes the the workflow for our small business basic sites. In terms of projects, um, so like like I said, one of my major things in the in the company is just straight up projects, and this is one of them. HTML, the things, is one of them. And one of the major things that we'll do is we'll I'll kind of an idea will pop up in my head, and I'll start jotting down ideas in a non formal way, just brainstorming. Even if they're really out there, I'll just jot them down, usually in usually in one note, and then I'll gather all my ideas together in a multiple page word doc and I'll literally, it's almost like a a proper design document. So there's no like actual photos or pictures there, but I'll write out everything. Like this is the goal. These are the features we're going to have. This is the most viable product, et cetera, et cetera, whatever applies to the actual project itself. And I'll start jotting all this down and getting it all ready. At that point, Mm -hmm. I'll actually meet with Mike, usually over Skype or in person Mm -hmm. and we'll, you know, share the document and we'll go through. And then, of course, there'll be comments back and forth, feedback from Mike, feedback, uh, feedback even from myself from just the conversation. And we'll, you know, we'll tweak, we'll tweak the document and we'll make the, make it basically its final revision after that. And then we, then from there, usually in the meeting, we'll decide this is how we start the project. So whether we want to start developing, whether we want to hire somebody, whether we need to call a certain service provider, whatever. And then we just continue with the project based on that first step and we just kind of go moving forward. So that's sort of my workflow. I don't have a daily workflow because different, pro- like I'm on projects and smaller business sites. So I'm kind of sporadic. I'm all over the place. One day I could be working hard, just sitting there, you know, banging out a UI or a UX. But then the next day I could be just doing social media and preparing banners or even just calling people. So I'm kind of all over the place. So, and, and I'm kind of like that in real life too. So I, I prefer this type of thing. So that's why Mike and I kind of work uh, well together because he seems to like the structure and I seem to like to go everywhere. So, mm-hmm. um, but that kind of concludes my workflow and it's a little, a little, little all over the place, but it definitely suits me. I think we should move on to uh, segment number four, which is how do we bring all this together? So segment number four, working together slash collaborative workflow. So obviously we have very different ways of working together. Um, mm-hmm. and in the past, and I'll meant the, I'll kind of get into the more specifics now. So we used to work on OneDrive, and I'm sure Michael will remember this. We used to work on OneDrive together and a lot of the time it would be one of our computers would go down or we would have like some internet connection problem. Cause I used to be on a rather old internet connection oh, yeah. or, or just, you know, any other problem. And we would have a bunch of duplicate files in OneDrive cause it's trying to save your conflicts. So I don't know if you want to touch at all on any of, any of your memories on that, Mike. But <laughs> I mean, there was a few times when I think OneDrive even went down, and we actually had merge conflicts. I think one of us would. <laughs> I think I I lost some work and stuff like that. I mean, it was kind of a ridiculous situation. Um, I, I'm still on the fence with Microsoft stuff, but I I think they are getting better. I really hope so. Um, Especially with like uh, with their communications applications, like Skype and uh, and these like their cloud applications, it's just it's kind of iffy. And it's, like their collaborate their collaboration tools on Word, they're not good. I don't I don't recommend. Um, maybe their web app is better because we haven't used that very often for Word collaboration. Word online, yeah. yeah, Word Online. Uh, I think most of the time I will always prefer Google Docs rather than trying to collaborate on Word because, oh, like, it would be bad if you had one tiny little version difference between you and another person and then all of a sudden nothing works and it's like a minute of delay between every edit. Like, it, it, it's kind of ridiculous with with how, with how it is with uh, OneDrive and Word and, like, the combination of the two especially. Right now we have this weird issue where if we work on a Word doc and it goes through, like, some sort of an upload center process, um, even though the upload center has been removed... <laughs> I'll have like random errors where it'll tell me, oh, upload center can't upload your document because it's locked. 
even though no one has it open. And second of all, even if it is open, isn't there like some collaboration tools? Like I, I honestly, not only do I not understand how word works right now, I don't even want to understand. So I'm okay with going to, to Google or I'm okay with just using like very basic text tools if we need them. Um, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at with that. I'm definitely, I'm definitely more of a Microsoft fanboy to an extent. Like I used, I've always used windows for my operating system and we both do. Mm-hmm. So, but one of the major things I think is like, I've, I kind of really dove into hotmail when it was purchased by Microsoft back mm-hmm. in the day. So I've kind of always been with them and I've always had like a Microsoft account and I've always had like an Xbox even like I'm all over their ecosystem. I have my calendars managed by them. My tasks are managed by them. If I do any like to do stuff, my OS is them, you know, I'm all Microsoft. So I'm kind of definitely more of a fanboy because I like having one ecosystem cover as many bases as it can. And if, if windows phone was big, I'd probably have a windows phone to be blatantly honest. And I'd use Cortana (laughs) if, uh, if like if she was everywhere, if she had like home products like the Google Home, so I mean Word I think is definitely going through a few growing pains because it was like just your standard hey this is a word uh, processing thing right whereas mm-hmm. Google Docs or is it is it Google Docs or Google Sheets Google Docs right no Google Docs yeah uh, Google Docs is like it, it kind of grew up online so it has that whereas this is like an old man being upgraded. So there, I do have, I do, you know what I'm saying though, like it's Word, which is old, like it's an older program that's gone through the test of time. Uh, so know, like, uh, mine works good now. Like after all the updates, mine works good now. But but it's like it works good now, but you have to say now because you know in a, in a, in a future update something will go wrong. I don't I, know. I will say I will say that that is something that I need, do need to like look out for, and I do ignore that a lot as a Microsoft fanboy. Full disclosure. So, I mean, OneDrive did, did work for us for a really long time, and we, we literally used it until it was at capacity of its of its own, like, like we, were, we weren't using it for what it was meant for. Correct. Yeah, so, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, like, do, doing any sort of web development work on OneDrive while everything is synced is, is kind of ridiculous. Exactly. So, and, <laughs> and, like, I use OneDrive on my phone, which I'm sure, which we're going to get into, I'm sure, with the app overload section. Yeah. So... I don't know. I'm I'm a one I'm a I'm a Microsoft fanboy. I use all their stuff. Just a full disclosure. Uh, I think uh, I think what we should move on to too is the second part of this segment, which would be how do we divide up those parts in the project? So mm-hmm. obviously, I was discussing like maybe I was in the DOM and you were you know messing around with the script or whatever. Yeah. So I'm more front end, as we said in, in the past, and Mike does more of the back end code and the uh, the engineering in that in that respect. And so kind of how we've, we've slowly started chipping away, like obviously our very first projects and are, were rather clunky, but you know, we've sort of started developing processes, which I think is very key for even a small business, because mm-hmm. then I, if I just like tell you, Hey, I need this, I just know where it's going to be and what you're going to do via like the process we've pre-set up. It's not mm-hmm. like you're going to be like, Oh, I've updated it to my personal G drive with a share link. It's like, no, we don't we never do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I know what's going to be in the Git. Or I know it's going to be here wherever. So what we do is we modularize, we, we've, we've worked on modularizing projects and we work on separate but yet complementing modules uh, to get chunks of a project done. So we had, uh, we had a project that we were working on in which Mike needed to work on the, I think it was something, it was a node application of some kind, I believe. And like, I wasn't going to touch that at all. Uh, and he was working on the, on the CMS of it as well. And so what I ended up doing was working on a very visual part of it and i kind of like dove into a little bit of the back end on controlling that visual part but mm-hmm. that visual part is like a section of the ui that he needed um yeah it was important to nail that down for this application it, it was pretty much just a simple uh node application where a user could add fields edit fields um approve or deny fields uh it was it was meant to be a collaborative workspace that's that's probably the best way to put it, where people could add and remove text fields, add and remove pictures, and then be able to communicate with each other while doing it. Right, right. Um, it's on the shelf now, but hopefully some, at some point we pick it up again. But pretty much like it's important. It was important for me to know the design aspect of it and ha- like and the UX aspect of it because a lot of my code was going to like complement that 
or the other way around your your design was going to complement my the code so i you building out those components those uh ui components actually like dictated how i coded a lot of the the different features yeah 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 so and like we 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 do it like like you're you're going to continue saying but uh i'll just interrupt you for a bit so we do it kind of like uh i know what features i can work on on my own where i don't need your your ux yet right and then i know what features you i'm going to need the ux part of it so i we kind of break it up like that so if i am working on a bunch of features that don't need ux i can work on those before i work on your features so you'll have a timeline i'll be like i have like three days of work ahead of me i don't need i don't need your stuff before those three days so can you get me these like you know three or four things by those three days and usually i can rely like i I can rely that you'll get those things to me and by the time i finish those that that three days of work i can continue and it kind of works like that and then once i get those three days of work done i'll know while i'm doing it i'll know that i'll need x y and b as well so after those three days, we'll have a meeting. We'll sit down. And you'll be like, "Okay, listen, I did this," and you'll show me what you did, and I'll uh, and I'll kind of like be like, "Okay, perfect. I can continue working on systems X, Y, A, B, C." Uh, then let's. Can you work on systems X, Y, and B, or X, Y, and uh, Z? And we kind of I don't know what it would be called, like leapfrog or something like that. Um, we just keep we just keep going in that kind of in that kind of system until we get to the end where it's just finishing touches. I think I think that's a really key point for you to bring up too because like it's one of those things where you could essentially dive into systems that would rely on a UI and you might make assumptions based on the UI UX where you might be like oh there's only going to be three boxes I assume but maybe you know as the UX guy I'm, I've decided okay we need a hide button and I need like a refresh button here mm-hmm. and it's a real pain in the ass for either me to cut the UI's you know refresh button or whatever because it's going to throw off the rest of the user experience and mm-hmm. it's a real pain in the ass for you to add it later so it's it's really key that we discuss hey we need you know three buttons three text box or whatever we need and mm-hmm. then you go okay i need interrupts here or i need a function here to interrupt this or i need to pull this data out at this point so i need to make it available i think that that's very key because yes you yes there are certain things like the login system obviously that's username and password you know maybe maybe a captcha maybe a two-factor but well, that... it may maybe adding like Google authentication and all like adding those things like it even even a simple thing as a login system I think is a good point to point out that it can start becoming kind of a hassle to do where you're you're not the UX guy. So let's say I were to design a login system and then I would forget something like Facebook login or uh, Google login something like that and then you we would I would do it and be, show you and be like well where's the Facebook login and I'd have to go back and add that Facebook login where if we were to design it together you being the UX guy you you would have already pointed all that out yeah yeah exactly so it it's better to work that way and as much as you think you can get everything correct in like a pre-designed document as you start coding it as people start using it with tests it's going to change and you need to be agile in that sense and i think being able to do it in these segments also, while I'm coding it, I'll, I'll realize something. While you're designing it, you'll realize something. And it's a great way to not overlap those realizations as well. Uh, definitely. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 one of those, it's one of those things where you don't want to be like double backing, I guess would be the word. Double backing too much. Yeah. For sure. Um, I, think, uh, I think we should go on to code reviews, another, another part of this segment. So what we, what we do do as well is... We do a lot of, like, the talk, right, like what we were just discussing. We discuss the modularization and we discuss, you know, the workflow together. And we, you know, we meld our two styles and our two tasks together. But then we still do take a break and we do do a code review or a peer review. And what we'll do is we'll just send a video with an explanation or sometimes we'll do, we'll be in person. Or sometimes we'll do, like, a Skype call and we'll share the screen. Just anything to sort of show it. Because those little issues like that Facebook login, for example, sometimes those things are, even even if they're planned, they're just forgotten. And so the peer review will catch it early before, like, I make a profile page that demands the Facebook info. Mm-hmm. And then I got to, like, rip that up and, like, redo it. So code review and, and also uh, new features are often talked about at this time, too. Like, sometimes we'll be like, hey, this is clunky. We need another button here. So we you, you really need those... Um, milestone or interim little meetings i find 
to you know to you know kind of catch up and get a little sanity check and then you can you can align your deadlines as well like maybe something is taking much longer than it did or maybe it's taking maybe it's going much faster than it than we expected yep. so we can move things up so th- like those little pieces are very very key i don't know if you had any comment on that yeah i mean that that's a good point with aligning i thought um so a lot of the time you'll estimate you know one day for doing the login page for instance and then all of a sudden you'll come up you'll you'll hit a boundary because of the technology you're using and you'll be like listen i need like two more days on this and if you don't communicate that if you don't have these like daily or by like a couple times a week stand-ups you might fall extremely behind or you might be desynced so you, like the person that like the ux guy might think that we're way ahead where the the actual guy that's coding it might be way behind and that can lead to stress as well. Like yeah. just not, not only like code wise, it can lead to stress personally. So it's important. I think it's important to always be communicative. So if you, if you run into a roadblock, there's no problem with, you know, I'll type Matt a message on hangouts and be like, listen, I, I hit a roadblock here. I'm going to take a break for a little bit and then try to hit it again. But I'm not sure if I'll be able to finish it up by the deadline. And usually you're pretty receptive of that, right? Like it's not, it's not. It shouldn't be an issue as long as I'm upfront with it. It's the, the a problem becomes when I'm like doing something and I kind of get in my own headspace and I keep doing it and doing it and doing it and don't realize that I've gone over the time that I said I was going to. And then you come back and be like, "Listen, you said you were going to do this like two days ago, three days ago, but you haven't even messaged me about any of it." So that can generate some stress, and you want you want to alleviate that stress as much as you can as a coder. And it's definitely person. definitely one of those things too is is you need is you want to keep the ball rolling. If you leave mm-hmm. one person hanging for too long and they're they're waiting on a dependency, the motivation for a project often goes down. And to yeah. get back in that headspace of, you know, basically snowballing the amount of work you're doing, if you are losing your if the project is losing its luster essentially, then you're going to have like a slower time moving forward as well. Mm-hmm. So, but it's like if everything's communicated then you can adapt and like obviously there's you know there's things that are out of our control but you know some you you really should as much as you can keep the ball rolling to keep everybody interested because you don't want to you know go like you know go a wall on a login screen and then like eight months later someone comes to you and he's like hey i finished like the facebook part and you're like well i don't even remember <laughs> what i did on that so now i gotta go spend a day figure out what i'm doing you know what i mean so yeah Definitely, yeah. definitely try to mitigate the amount of time in between, if mm-hmm. you can. Uh, I think one of the other things that we should mention too to sort of manage this, uh, one of our processes probably is is we use a couple of different management uh, methodologies and management uh, project or uh, project management software. So we specifically use uh, Asana. We have a free account with Asana, and we use that as like you know we have tasks on there. And we'll, you know, create in, in Asana, you can create a project and then we just use like the basic to do stuff or there's like sort of like a, um, a column based board now, I forget what they, they exactly call it now, but we'll mm-hmm. use that where I can see that something's checked off. So there's been times where let's say Mike finishes something and I'll like, I'll see that it's just checked off and I'll like go and ask, be like, yo, is this done? Can I like jump into this now? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's times like that where it's like maybe he just finished it and he hadn't communicated. He's going to talk to me later. I just noticed it and then I got a little bit of a head start. So Asana is helpful for stuff like that. Um, and then we've also used a a physical whiteboard. Um, so I don't know if you want to comment on our processes with that because I think you developed one of the, the sticky note process or whatever on there. Okay, well, I wouldn't say developed. I, I, I've seen it before, but mainly I wanted to use it because I was watching Silicon Valley at that point. <laughs> and uh, <Okay>. they had, <laughs> I really like their little task management system on the whiteboard. So we... Uh, we kind of copied what they had there to a certain degree where you could you just split up all your tasks into small little uh, sticky notes. Anything that you can write on a sticky note can be a task. And then you break it up into different categories like front end, back end, uh, UX, UI, animation. Like we, we kind of split it up into many different columns and then we had a completed column. So every time you completed something, you ripped it off the, the column and put it into the completed. You can kind of follow your progress as with a physical little snap onto the whiteboard um that was it was pretty satisfying i liked it uh we don't get to do it as much anymore because we're both busy and we kind of do the asana uh task management system nowadays Um, and a lot of like digital chat whether it be skype or whatever we don't have very many overlapping projects although hat is a big overlapping project we kind of decided to go on a more like 
individual route where we'll you'll do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll all we'll kind of combine it together into hat, right? So that yeah, we can yeah. get even more content up and make sure that our content is kind of individually synced. Um, I mean, that's not to say that we're not going to have another big project where we're going to have to do more collaboration. I kind of like those projects as well, but um, for now we're, we're, we're moving into a more individual task basis. I could see us, you know, in a month or two doing something bigger. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I think we should mention too, and I think we'll cover this a lot in, we'll probably have a, either a separate episode for this or an episode that kind of more focuses on this, but I think, We've mentioned this also a bit. HTML, all the things is sort of based on all of the processes and all the projects that we planned. HTML, all the things is sort of a is sort of like the master idea of all those things. We've we've had several failures, which we're definitely going to have an episode focused on some of our failures. But we've had like a lot of failures, a lot of like semi successes, a lot of successes um, in various spaces, depending on the goals of the various projects. Mm-hmm. And I think that HTML, all the things kind of takes all those ideas and goes, well, hey, let's, let's, you know, we always go back to web development and design. Why don't we, you, why don't we make a project that actually just promotes that almost? We can use it as a portfolio piece. It's its own thing, like the podcast, like the articles, like whatever. And that all stacks on the portfolio. It keeps everything fresh. So like you, I don't think you would have tried Vue without it, for example. So now Mm -hmm. you've tried Vue, you're developing stuff for a project. Now you have that skill. If someone calls us and needs something done in Vue, you can do it. So it's like this whole, like it's a, it's the biggest complimentary project, I guess is the way you'd say it. So, you know, as your first, the reason why I even mentioned this is your first few ideas might be bad. They might fail or they might. totally crash and burn right from the conceptual stage but you'll develop a way to filter ideas and like uh, systematically decide this is the idea i want to do and this is sort of our one of our first real big like this is what we want to do this is this is this makes the most sense for our current situation yeah i think it's time to move on to the the recurring segment that does not yet have an intro uh we currently call it web news uh this it was my uh my turn to bring a a conversation piece this week, and it, I brought app overload. So, as we know, we've just talked about a bunch of workflow workflow things, uh, including chat, and we all have, and we all do, I would say, suffer from an app overload. There's so many chat programs out there: Microsoft Teams, Slack, Stride, Twist, Skype. I think one of those got shut down recently or something. I don't remember. That Atlassian one that just got bought out by uh, Slack. Oh my god! So like like the like the landscape is ever changing, clearly, yeah. and and that is only a very small taste of all the chat programs out there. Not to mention WhatsApp and every other thing. You haven't and even touched on the Google ones. You haven't even touched on the, the Google the, ones. There's only forty five Google chat applications. Friggin' Hangouts and Allo and Duo and yeah, there's Hangouts and Hangouts Chat. Don't forget about that. Those are two completely separate applications that don't even have the same developers. I didn't know that. So yep. that's good. Um, <laughs> I'm getting overloaded just talking about this segment, but we also have yeah. another. Um, so if you're trying to like manage your finances on the go or whatever, you're trying to, you know, research stuff or whatever you have QBO. So QuickBooks online, you got your, your Reddit, your Facebook, your Twitter, like your social stuff. You got your podcast apps. If you're, you know, whether you're listening to listening for fun or listening for education, you got your podcast apps. And then you got, if you're a web dev, you got, got to have all your test browsers, so there's a bunch of browsers on mobile that you that you probably should have on, on at least a test device. You can, you know, kind of give it a go. So it's it's app overload, and and I listed a whole bunch there, and it's hardly hardly anything. And I think one of the things I wanted to mention was don't let it overload you. So one of the things that I've started doing is I have actually stopped all push notifications from social media. So, for example, like mm-hmm. Facebook, like, it, like some people will talk to me primarily on Facebook Messenger. I will leave the Facebook Messenger push notifications on because it's just a chat program. But I will, you know, mute Facebook and I will just check it daily or check it whenever I want to. Because those notifications are, you know, whether they're likes, comments or whatever, they don't necessarily need my direct attention. Same with Instagram. Like, I'm active on there. Like, definitely active on there. And so is HTML, all the things. But 
I'm 100% not going to have to check every single time someone likes or follows us. I can check it in three hours and it's going to be fine. I can check it in 30 minutes and it's going to be fine. So that, that helps with the app overload. And then some of the other stuff is I'll file away things. So I kind of make it so that anything that I have to do on QuickBooks, which is our accounting software, I will specifically do it on the PC, on the computer. But I will have the app installed, and it's kind of optional, but I will have the app installed in case I'm out and about, and it's like, hey, this person really needs the their invoice today. So I can quickly, yeah. you know, bang it out, and I'm not worried about fumbling with installs and trying to remember my password and stuff like that. So, and then podcast apps. Podcast apps, it's its own thing, almost like chat apps, where we got, right now I'm using Google Podcasts as well as CastBox. I also use, oh, this is, I just, I just cringe listening to all this. I also, yeah, I, I also use, uh, or I have used Podbean and I also, like, this is just ridiculous <laughs> already. I also have iTunes to test that. So the iTunes desktop application at the Apple podcast on my iPad, like, this is ridiculous. So it's, it's, it's podcast, like, like, and they're all okay. Like they all work, you know? So, yeah. uh, and they all got their, their main thing. My main one is definitely CastBox. But because I have Google Assistants all throughout the area I live in, in in the home, I have like all these like Google like smart speakers. So I use Google Podcasts for that reason. So it's like a big, it's a mess. It's a bit of a mess. So what I'm basically trying to say is it's, it's, it's hell, but try to manage it the best way you can. Yeah. I don't know. Like (laughs) I, I, I agree with you. There's just so much choice out there and there's so much redundancy. Um, I really like I think it's too much at this point. I think fragmentation in in a chat marketplace is ridiculous. Um I understand why it's happening. Like I get that like all these companies want a piece of the big pie. I uh, want want your information, want your messages so that they can mine them and generate some inf- like informative advertising content. Like I don't know what else it could be, right? Like why would a million different chat applications open up other than just to get different perspectives on different people's like chat messages. Right. 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 So like, I just, I think, I just think it's ridiculous, especially when one company makes 17 different chat applications. It's like, what, what are you doing? You're fragmenting your own audience and you're actually making the audience of each one of your applications more angry at that application because you're spreading out your best developers. Like it doesn't make any sense. Why is there, a million different hangouts like there's hangouts hangouts chat allo like what what is the point of it and you're constantly like killing off projects like that i don't know i i I can go on an even longer rant about this stuff but um i understand like some of the stuff makes sense uh maybe even podcast app kind of makes sense why why there's so many uh it's kind of an easier app to build so there's a lot of people that start off building kind of like a podcast app definitely Um, like and and there's 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 pros and cons to every one of them right yeah, there's little there's little pros and cons, but most of the for the most part, you're right. Like they just they work really well. I think for for podcasting in general, I use Pocket Casts just because it has that web version. Right. Um. So that that web version allows me to go on my computer and just pick up where I left off on a, on a podcast. I haven't found a different service that has a good one like that. Um, That's what I use Castbox for. Is the is the 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 link the link between the two. Okay, so there we go. So it's it's the same the same system. Like I would probably use Castbox just the same. There would be no difference for me if I knew about it before I already like purchased Pocket Casts. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Is some of them are free, some of them are subscription, some of them have like tiers, so like a free tier, etc. Yeah. Um. One of the things I was going to say too is I don't know if you've paid attention to the uh the Photoshop scenario on phone. There's a bunch of Photoshop apps. Like it'll be like. Uh, Adobe, like I, I'll, I can literally type it in, but it'll be like Adobe Photoshop, like, like cut crop, whatever. And it like, there's a whole bunch of them all like they, so what, what these guys are doing is they're separating their apps. Like I just typed in Adobe Photoshop. There's Adobe Photoshop express, which is photo editor and collage maker. Then there's also Adobe Photoshop mix, which is cut out, combine and create. And then there's Adobe Photoshop fix, which does that. Then there's Adobe Photoshop Lightroom, which of course is slightly slightly different. So I mean, there's like some of these are you know they should be separate, but it's like why are there a couple of apps here for the same thing? Like why is it that I have to cut in this one, and then I'd have to import it into this one to make it into a collage? What's going on here? 
And yeah. play, PlayStation, like, I mean, to take it out of the web development scene, PlayStation, for example, has, like, the PlayStation app, and then they have PS Messages. Like, we're, like, I'm gonna, I have a social folder on my phone. I'm gonna read yep, this, app. I'm gonna read these apps. Mm-hmm. I got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn, WhatsApp, Slack, Messenger, Messages, PS Messages, Discord, BBM, Skype, Twist, and Pages Manager, and I'm sure... I'm sure there's something in here that I forgot. Like, this yeah. is... This is insane. And then, of course, like, I mean, like, you can be messaged within programs. So you can be messaged... I mean, I've already mentioned Instagram, but you can be messaged within there. And there was rumor of Instagram making their own chat app. So there's that. And then there's other things, like... You can be messaged in other programs. Like, you could be messaged in Reddit. YouTube yep. has its own chat inside of it now. So you can yep. chat inside of YouTube. Like, this is app... This is app overload, folks. It's app hell. Slamming the phone down. It's, it's app yeah, overload. It's, yeah, like, <laughs> there's so, too much. Choice is great, <laughs> but at some point, it just becomes too much, especially when it's coming from reputable companies fighting with themselves. Absolutely. Like, p- p- Google Play Music and YouTube Music. Oh, my God. Fantastic. And Google Play Music isn't is is compatible with... My last check with Google Assistant here in Canada anyway. Yeah. Google, or sorry, YouTube Music is not a selectable service at my last check in Canada in Google Assistant as a music player. What is going on? They don't release minimal viable products. Like, they don't they don't think through what is a minimal viable product. They just release something that, like, oh, this <sighs> one plays music. But you're Google. You can't do that. You can't release something that just does one thing when you have a million different services that are all tied together you need to make sure that it works with your services your own services we're not asking you to like link into a different like a totally microsoft we're not asking you to link to microsoft link to your own services please there's a there's a there's a piece that i've struggled to write because i like to write just standard tech stuff and on medium and there's a piece that i've i've had like kind of in the works for a real long time regarding the the problem with the ecosystem the ecosystem of anything is a really great idea but then the ecosystem is also run by capitalism and therefore is is fragmented prime example i purchased a i purchased a uh one of those tp link smart plugs and i had to use the i think it's called casa app in order to use that thing i also have a smart home leak detector that's a Honeywell one. That needs to go in the Honeywell thing. Now, in Google Assistant, you can you know control these things to an extent if you connect your account and connect those devices to the Google Assistant. But the Google Assistant, in, in the Google Home app specifically, does not have a physical switch on there. So now, I have the CASA app if I want to have a physical switch. And the Google Assistant app can only do it via voice. But if I buy the Google Home display, there's physical switches on the screen. So we know that it's possible, they just don't do it. And then yep. I know and from HomeKit, HomeKit, which is the Apple one, as far as I know, has the same problem where the, you know you have to download the person's app, fine. If you have to jump it in a folder and you have the space in your phone, fine. You have to dump it in there, fine. But the HomeKit ones, as far as I've seen, and I don't own it, but as far as I've seen from other people, they do have an actual separate, like they can just go to the HomeKit app or whatever they go to and they can click it. And since I have a Samsung phone, I have a freaking SmartThings app. Now, I don't know whether that's uninstallable. I haven't checked. But this is Samsung SmartThings. So now I got this going on, too. And Honeywell connected to my Google Assistant. But that particular device, my leak detector, is not compatible with Google Assistant. <laughs> so, like, now I got a Honeywell app. It's app overload, folks. I'm peeking the mic. Ah, oh, God. Like, like this. I know this is supposed to be web development. And I wanted to really touch on, like... There's a lot of these web apps and a lot of these web programs or a lot of these websites that are coming up with web with like uh, um, with apps or apps coming out with web development or web uh, like equivalents. Like you could use like that, like that uh, web version of WhatsApp or whatever by like connecting the app to it. And there's a couple of things like that. BBM has one in beta and other things like that. Like you, there are ones like that, but that's even fragmented mm-hmm. because you could. Some of them just log in. Some of them require the phone. Now you got a whole bunch of tabs open, which is using a bunch of RAM because it's Chrome. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yep. I was gonna try to provide a solution in this segment, and I don't have one because I just riled myself up. 
(laughs) There is no solution. You just got to live with it. You got to ride it out until companies smarten up and start to release one really good app instead of 10 really bad ones. So the one, the only like thing, and I tried this, the only thing I tried, I tried uh, Blackberry hub on Android. And what I was going to do was delete all my icons for my various accounts like, so I, I think you should have... explain what BlackBerry Hub is because I don't think a lot of our listeners will know what it is. <sighs> yeah, it's true. Okay, so BlackBerry Hub is a, uh, a is an app from BlackBerry. Um, it basically is uh, more or less adapted from the BlackBerry 10 days where – so you know how on Android, for example, you know if you get a notification, it's in that lock screen or whatever. But generally speaking, it's in that shade at the top. You pull down from the top and there's all your notifications. What BlackBerry Hub was to, Black, to BB10 – was you could go all the way over to the leftmost screen and on that leftmost screen there would be the hub and that's where all your notifications were located and a lot of them would like so it would be like you know bbm here's your here's your bbm here's your email from these accounts here's your your facebook here's your twitter notification you click on it it takes you right there and then mm-hmm. you could literally do a gesture on the screen and literally swipe right back to the hub and go through so you could go top to bottom you could go like i'm going to go into this app then facebook then twitter then email yeah, real think, real real quick i think a big plus of it was it had not only notifications it had your actual messages there so that means that like your notification center is great and all but once you use once you actually action on a message it goes away where the BlackBerry Hub, it wouldn't go away. You can actually see your older notifications in chronological order from all your different apps. Yeah, yeah. It literally just like took the shade. It didn't like like kind of like the notification shade, but like made it it almost its own app. But it was like always there, and mm-hmm. that's how you did your notifications on there. It was like really really versatile, and it was really plugged in to the OS. So when BlackBerry, you know, inevitably switched to Android. They brought the hub over, and obviously, since it's Android, they have to use it. It's it's different, so it like kind of adapts to your hub. So it, it is its own email client. You sign into your emails directly on the hub, and then you can connect your various accounts. So, for example, just looking here, I have a few emails accounts connected. I got my text messages that go here. I got some call logs, LinkedIn, Discord, Facebook, Google Hangouts. Oh, good, that wasn't in that folder. Mm-hmm. Instagram. I got a couple Twitter accounts, a Reddit. Like everything's in here, but. Because it's Android, and the workflow on Android is sort of like steered more towards you using the shade, I constantly find myself just looking at the shade, or with my always-on display, an icon will appear, because I got the SA+, and I just double-tap on the latest icon, and it'll open up my latest notification. So I find myself not using the hub as much. But I was going to try to use it, like I used to on BB10, by... Literally just like deleting all my like shortcuts, having the apps installed, and just doing it on on here. But I'm on the fence about that, and like some of the apps it interacted with is kind of weird. So for example, if I send you, if I send somebody a BBM message, so let's say somebody says hello to me on BBM, it'll say, hey, there's a BBM message. Click on BBM, it'll open up that person's chat. I could say hello there. It will actually show my hello there, and since they're both BlackBerry apps, it'll show me the little blue D for delivered and the little uh, green R for if it was read. Mm-hmm. But if I, if let's say Mike, let's say you send me a Hangouts message that says again hello, and I click on that and it says a new notification, I click on that, it'll take me to the chat, and I say hello there. All it does is mark that Hangouts one as read. It doesn't say that it doesn't show my reply. Oh, that's kind of weird. So yeah, then it, I'm it, like inconsistencies, right? And so then I'm like, did I reply to that? I don't remember. But on the BB Hub, like a BB10 Hub, uh, with the exception of a few Android apps that you you could install on there, I like there wasn't that problem. You always saw like, oh yes, I did actually answer that. Yeah. So the inconsistency kind of like tosses me over. I do really like the email though, so I do keep it around for that. But, Mm -hmm. um, but that's just my two cents. So that was my attempt at trying to manage all this. And I think now I've kind of actually I have given up. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I have Prime Photos back at my photos, which I had to uninstall because it was draining my battery. Yep. Um, well, because I don't know what happened. I had an OS update, and God knows what happened. But I have Prime. I have Prime Photos, Google Photos, and OneDrive back at my photos, and they're all backing up different folders. <laughs> so I have literally have folders everywhere. And then way back in the day, uh, I used to, or I still do, have all my contacts on my old Microsoft account, and I was trying to transfer them to my new Microsoft account. And I like went through this thing and I was like, you know what? I'm going to have one contacts list and it's going to be synced to all my work accounts and all my personal accounts. 
and I pressed sync. It got about 40% the way through. It broke, froze, and it never worked again. Mm-hmm. So now I have contacts scattered throughout all my accounts, and one of them is kind of like a master that has most of them. So I have contacts everywhere. So now what I do is I just sync every account to everything. <laughs> Everything's all syncing at the same time, and I never have an interruption, but probably terrible battery life because I have so many things running. Mm-hmm. But that's how I deal with app overload. I don't Fair know enough. if you have more comments on that, but... <sighs> no, I think we should wrap it up. I think everyone's heard everything they need to hear Fuck. on App Overload. <laughs> and that goes... That's the web news. We need a, need a little jingle. The yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I think that's it. And that's all. Uh, if you wouldn't mind hitting that, hitting one of those reviews things on, uh, on Apple Podcasts or on your iTunes there, that'd be really great. Give us a review. Uh, whatever podcast app you're using... In your app overload, feel free to subscribe and like us or do whatever your various platform does. That'd be much appreciated. We're on the YouTubes. You can look us up, HTML, all the things. We got the podcast up there if you'd prefer to listen to the audio version on there. We also have the uh, website coming soon. We also have our social media channels. So, of course, our Facebook, which is our Facebook, our uh, Instagram, and our Twitter. Our Facebook and Instagram are HTML all the things, and our Twitter is HTML everything. And you can always just look us up and find us there. And like I said, the website is coming soon, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Signing off. <laughs>